BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. We are recording on Saturday, April 2nd, 2022. I'm Jack Fowler, the host, star, and namesake Victor Davis Hanson is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. Victor is a best-selling author of The Dying Citizen, his most recent book, farmer, classicist. You'll find he writes twice a week for American Greatness, and he writes copiously for his own website, victorhanson.com. We'll talk more about that a little later. We've got a lot to talk about on this podcast. And the first thing is former Vice President Mike Pence's release of his freedom agenda. What does that mean? What is the agenda? And what does it mean politically? We'll get to that and Victor's reflections and analyses right after these important messages. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show on this Saturday night in Milford, Connecticut. I know it's the afternoon out there on the glorious coast, another Saturday night, and I ain't got nobody, but, I, but Victor, I got you I got you on the other end of the microphone. So my friend, my good friend. So you saw the freedom agenda. It is pretty copious. Mike Pence put this out the other day. He's got a new organization maybe it's not that new. It's called Advancing American Freedom. That's the platform from which he sent this agenda. There are a number of people who took a bow for helping to put this together. They include my old friend, Larry Kudlow, who's the vice chairman of one of Donald Trump's think tank, America First Policy Institute. Scott Walker, the former governor of Wisconsin, Doug Ducey, the current governor 
of Arizona, Marjorie Dannenfelser with uh, Susan B. Anthony, Kay James, others, 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 are, are all, all helped. But what did they help? They helped put together this agenda that Mike Pence says is something Republicans and conservatives should run on for the 2022 congressional elections. But it kind of looks also like it's a Mike Pence for president 2024 platform and agenda. So, Victor, two things here, your thoughts on the agenda itself. And then, yeah, I mean, uh, the people associated with this, Kellyanne Conway, for example, helped put this together. Does this say anything about people choosing between Pence and Trump looking forward to 2024? I think I'm probably reading way, way too much into this. But anyway, Victor, your thoughts. Well, I I think if you look at the Pence Freedom Agenda, it's 80% doctrinaire republicanism, and the other 15% is MAGA adaptations, such as tough on China, secure borders, reindustrializing the United States, symmetrical trade. And then there's five or five or six percent that is Mike Pence, and that has a, a stronger emphasis on our God-given rights. I think he used the word God-given and and more emphasis on anti-abortion and then more emphasis on internationalism that we have to confront Russia. And and I I think the subtext of that is Mike Pence would never say that, even though we know what Trump meant, he would never say that Putin is a genius. And then the second part of your question, Jack, is what is he doing? And I think the way to look at it is So here's Trump that sort of towers over five or six would-be candidates. And they are Mike Pompeo and Nikki Haley, perhaps, and Tom Cotton and DeSantis and Mike Pence, a few others. And for the most part, none of them are going to deviate from the MAGA agenda because they understand there's no constituency for the never-Trumpers, Romneyism, McCainism. It just doesn't exist anymore neoconservatives. Okay. So each person then has to distinguish themselves. And I think Pompeo is saying, I have these sterling foreign policy credentials. And Tom Cotton says, so do I. And I, I'm a Jacksonian too, but I also am very worried about how wokeism has corrupted our institutions. Or Mike Pence wants to put a little bit more religious element into the, the matrix. But you're right in the sense that the subtext of all of these agendas is you can get Trumpism without Trump. And I don't mean that that's bad, but what they're saying is, let me just deviate a minute, Jack. So DeSantis right now is taking on all of these cultural and social issues, and he's defiant. You know, if you want to teach, we're not going to allow sex, uh, gender, gay, whatever, sexuality at with five-year-olds, and we're going to get in your face and say no. And that type of preemptive, proactive, unapologetic is Trumpism. But the subtext of what DeSantis is saying is, but I'm not tweeting. I'm not on social media. I'm not, he is, but not gratuitously so. I don't call people names. I don't have a Stormy Daniels come out of my past. I would never hire a Scaramucci or a Bannon. That's, I think, his message. And all of them will then have that message. They will have, as I said, the Trump agenda, and then they will 
try to find an issue that fits their forte, and they will be really tough guys like Trump is. So the Trump voter might say, well, I like his agenda, just like Trump's, but I can't trust these people. They don't fight like Trump. So they're trying to say, I can fight like Trump. This is what Pence is getting defiant. But they're adding that little tweak that they have specialties that distinguish them from Trump and from each other. But more importantly, you get all of the Trump without the Trump downside. And that's what that's the contours shaping up for this 2024 primary. And that $64,000 question is, what is Donald Trump going to do? Everybody says he's running. I'm, I think it's 50-50, but we'll see. Victor, I'm just curious, and we don't have to go into this too long. Have you ever had any conversations of any kind with Mike Pence in the past? You ever met him even? His aide called me about six weeks ago and invited me to go to one of these Freedom Agenda conventions, meetings. I don't quite remember what it was. And that's all I've had with him. I've always liked him. And I couldn't go because I was speaking at that exact time somewhere else. So I, of all the candidates that might be in the arena, I, I know Mike Pompeo somewhat. I've talked to him on the phone. I've had lunch with him. I have met and liked Tom Cotton. I've interviewed him. I don't think I've ever had, I've been in a place where Nikki Haley, but I don't, I don't have that type of experience with her. And I've talked on occasion to Donald Trump on the phone, but right. I'm not invested. I know that everybody says, well, you wrote a book called The Case for Trump, but it was about, you know, what Trumpism right. is. And, right. and, and that wasn't my title. My title was Why Trump Won. I think the publisher thought that was milk toasty. They may have been right. So I can't complain because the book sold very well. Right. Well, Victor, let's talk about another president and another vice president. And let's talk about her first, Kamala Harris. This has gotten around on the web a lot. And okay, we can make fun of it. And I'm sure we will. But there's a seriousness, I think, to this uh, continuing inability for her to clearly make a point, as I'm showing the world right now myself, and for her to use 20 words when only one will do. So here's what she said the other day when she was in a... Do I get to put my hands over my ears? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it'll, See, it'll I can be, read your lips. Can you get on it, video so I can read your lips? I'll, I'll, uh, you'll, I'll make you suffer for it, Victor. Okay. You're going to have to listen. Here's what she said. She was meeting with the prime minister of Jamaica. For Jamaica... One of the issues that has been presented as an issue that is economic in the way its impact has been the pandemic. So to that end, we are announcing today, also we will assist Jamaica in COVID recovery uh, by assisting in terms of the recovery efforts in Jamaica that have been essential to what I believe is necessary to strengthen not only uh, the issue of public health, but also the economy. So Victor, as many people say, this is, you know, Kamala Harris, not only cackling, but now the Kamala Harris word salad. But okay, that's how she embarrasses herself on the international scene. But Victor, it is important when the you know the leader of the free world who can't talk, and the 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 person who's a heartbeat away from the presidency can't talk either. There's a real creates a lack of trust. I mean, I don't know what these people are saying. How can I trust them to do anything when I don't have a freaking clue what the hell they're talking about? So anyway, she's, Victor, to go yeah, ahead. She's, she's moved on from her Martin Heidegger being in time discussion. Remember about time 
and time and time is this and we have time and time. It's the same idea. You know, there's about a lot of dimensions to this word dementia, I guess. One is there's no there there. And when she talks like this, and she always talks like this, she says nothing because she has nothing to say because there's nothing in her head. But she's gotten by on about three criteria. One, she's half Indian and half Black. And two, she's female. And three, she constantly, as she did in the debates, talks about being a victim of racism and racism and lynching laws. And she plays that card. And therefore, she thinks, I never have to prep because I'm immune from criticism. Tom Soule wrote some brilliant things about this 30 years ago when he said the, the real danger to the so-called minority communities are that when you hide behind the cloak of race or gender or sexuality, then you never hone your skills. You're always treated with kid gloves and you earn contradictorily or paradoxically, you earn both derision and contempt and obsequiousness. In other words, people said, hi, Kamala, so good to hear you. And then they mutter under the breath, oh, what an idiot. She got all here because of, and she's already knows that. She knows that so well, Jack, that she accuses people preemptively of being racist and sexist. And her staff is, you know, they're thinking, okay, I have to, I want to work at Apple one day, or I've got to go out and be a Googleite. I want to be on social media and I write speechwriter for Camilla Harris. I mean, that's a kiss of death, isn't it? And then somebody's going to say, are you the one that wrote that gibberish? And then it reminds us, you know, when she was younger, when she left law school, what did she do? She hooked up with Willie Brown, who had been Speaker of the House, Mayor of San Francisco, and he immediately put her on these very lucrative board. California is famous for having the board of equalization, the board of disability, the board of this, the board of that. And they're just created for sinecures, for time, for term limited assemblymen and state senators. And they go into these boards. Well, he put her, got her on these boards. So she had a livelihood that was not commiserate with her limited abilities. And then he was, as mayor, he she was city attorney, and then she went county attorney of San Francisco. And then she was, nobody really knows in California who people are. They just know who is the minority candidate on the left and who has the money. And then that person's elected. So she connected in with the Silicon Valley, the Gettys, the Newsoms, the Pelosi, the Feinstein machine. And they hooked her up with left-wing huge amounts of money from Silicon Valley and old money in San Francisco. And then Willie Brown stamp branded her and said, she's your person. And nobody ever asked her, does she have a brain? Can she talk? And then guess what? She was at Senator and she was just about ready to flop and she ran for president. She got no delegates. She bombed out. And now we have Joe Biden did to her what he did to the Supreme Court when he said that he was going to pick in advance after George Floyd, a black woman. And then he, somebody said, hey, Joe, can you please tell me the five most accomplished black women executive politician, governors, senators. And there was, you know, it was basically Stacey Abrams or Kamala Harris. And the odd thing, Jack, is that Stacey Abrams is actually far more articulate and can actually think, although she's crazy, but she, she would be far better as a vice president in the sense of not embarrassing people. 
Kamala Harris is the female version of Cory Booker. They're complete frauds. They're nuts. They've been, everything's been given to them. You know, Spartacus, and he did another Spartacus outburst the other day when he went, right. gosh, gosh, God. I mean, someday when historians look back at this period and they're going to say this country went collectively mad because, you know, this is so neo-Confederate. I mean, they're going the whole Confederate obsession right. on your race, obsession on your one drop rule, obsession on right. states' rights. It's, right. The return, no- return of Octoroon. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, nullification of federal law. It, they, I mean, they're, they're real Confederates. Yeah. Leftists. Plantation right. economy, too. Two classes rather than three. I wonder if, 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 if Cory Booker's T-Bone and Joe Biden's Corn Pop ever met. <laughs> There's, yeah, Corn Pop and T-Bone. Fantasy the, characters. Yeah. The Imaginarium of, of fantasy people. I guess right. they, all, they all meet there somewhere. And yeah. maybe they can meet Barack Obama's mythical, what was it, the guy, the com- Hope Marshall Davis? That he well, didn't he, name it was just what do you call him Frank Frank is this and then the mythical girlfriend remember he, the, yeah it was a composite girlfriend yeah, well, of three people the, I read the book and it didn't oh. say composite it said composite <laughs> after they caught him flat out lying to the point where his former right. girlfriend got angry and started talking and then he said oh I never told you it was a composite yeah well well let's uh. Let's They're talk all about- there somewhere in in cyberspace, I suppose. Yeah, with Walter Mitty. So, Victor, about Joe Biden. Now, a couple of things, two things, maybe even three. Not so much babble, maybe a lie. And then a crazy injection of himself into a Florida situation. So on the possible lie, he said the other day, I think trying to push back or find something to say to offset America's growing concern over energy and inflation costs. If your home is powered by safer, cheaper, cleaner electricity like solar or heat pumps, you can save about $500 a month on average, which means, you know, do the math, that's $6,000 a year. Joe Biden is telling Americans. So, of course, the White House had to walk that back as they have many things. This made me not as consequential walk back as some of the things he said the prior week, foreign policy. No, no, it's just meant for $500 a year. So the interesting, the Associated Press is being attacked because it does a fact-checking thing and it says, oh yeah, you know, we fact-checked this and President Biden misspoke. Well, here's a guy that has shown misspoke, himself bro. very adept at lying, you know, and, well, didn't he lie about it? Why wouldn't he have lied? It's, it's, it comes, it's his second nature. So that's one thing, the lie of on this energy thing. And the other thing, Victor, is he attacked DeSantis over this Florida bill And why would, I mean, isn't that crazy? Why would Joe Biden come in support or opposition to this bill and be put in a position? So, Mr. President, you're saying it's okay to teach that a kindergarten teacher can discuss fellatio with their kids? I mean, essentially, that's what what the bill seeks to prevent. You're in favor of that. So stepping into something, lying about something, just another week in Joe Biden. Victor, your thoughts? Well, you know, you were talking about uh, Joe Biden saying we're going to save this money by filling up our car with electricity. I think in the continental United States, Hawaii is always a special case, but I think, Jack, that we're almost as expensive in California as you are Connecticut. We're over 20 cents or 21 cents for the flat rate per kilowatt. So where does he get the idea that you're going to plug in a Tesla and overnight it's going to be saving all this money? 
you're only going to get a 400 mile you know, range and you're going to be stuck somewhere and it's not going to be that much cheaper because in California to take the model of America to be, we only have 10% hydroelectric, but they let the water out to the ocean for their salmon project. So the, the hydroelectric never runs at full capacity now. And we're dismantling nuclear plants. This huge one at Diablo Canyon scheduled to be decommissioned. It runs perfectly. It's clean. It's cheap. And all of the natural gas plants that Gray Davis, remember he was recalled, he threw up all of a sudden because we had this summer of brownouts. So they said, well, we're going to get clean burning natural gas from Alaska or Texas or somewhere. Okay, that was a big, the glory Enron days. Well, they're all expensive now. There's, and the only thing you have is wind or solar, but they only work at particular times. And it's going to be more and more expensive to, to generate electricity, especially when everybody wants to charge up their cars. So you're just passing the burden from one fuel to the next without solving the problem. The problem is until we get Albert Einstein or Thomas Edison or Alexander Graham Bell or some genius to create, you know, some kind of fusion power, you've got to push all types of energy. You've got to push hydrogen cars, electric cars, gasoline, diesel, everything at once to keep that price affordable. Because right now, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people I've been working in this house, uh, this old house, and I keep going back and forth at Home Depot, service station, get stuff. And people are really, when you go to the food market, it's what, should I buy that sirloin? I'm not talking about rib or porterhouse or any of that stuff. Should I buy that sirloin steak or fill up? I mean, they don't have the money to do this stuff. And we're headed at a 10% annualized inflation rate. So that is just lunatic. And then when you get into the other subsidiary point, an administration that will not develop gas and oil won't, won't develop rare minerals and rare earth metals that would be necessary for battery components of electric cars. If you told Joe Biden there's a desert out here in Nevada and Utah that's got this type of metal and that type of metal and it's there for the taking, they would rather tell the Chinese to mine more, just like they do with oil with Russia. Please, please, communist China. We're your enemy, but would you please mine more precious metals so we can make batteries? Just like we said, please Venezuela, please Saudis, please Iran, please Putin. Would you pump more oil? We don't want to get our hands dirty with the abundance that we have. So it's lunatic. And the other thing is, we talked about this before, Jack, every single issue, every single issue, the border, fuel, inflation, critical race theory, Afghanistan, you name it, it's pulling down about 40%. And they have to address that if they want to be, and they can't because they're ideologues and ideologues are non-empirical. They're not bothered by reality. If you told Joe Biden tomorrow, Joe, just finish the Trump reconstructed and new portions of the wall, stop catch and release, go down and tell Obrador that you're going to Trump him and he's got to control that border or you're going to give him hell on trade and immigration went to a trickle where it was and that would be a success no that would be considered a failure you know why 60 percent of people would love it and the ideological base would hate it and they're ideologues and yeah. so they can't change and so if you can't change and you can't address the needs of fuel security shelter transportation food 
then what do you do? You talk about transgendered rights. You talk about lynching in the year 2022. You talk about racism. You talk about Ron DeSantis. You talk about, that's all he can do. It's all reactive. They have no, no new ideas. Right. And you know, just to finish this rant, the problem, Jack, is that when JFK was elected in 1960, he wasn't a Northern liberal, but there was not a Northern liberal for 50 years until Barack Obama came in in 2008, 48 years. Okay, so what did that tell us? That told us that the country did not trust Democrats unless they had a Southern accent. So the next nominees were LBJ, then they had a Northern liberal, Hubert Humphrey. He crashed, and he was pretty centrist compared to today. And they said, well, we're going to get another Northern liberal, a McGovern, and he crashed. And then they said, no more. We'll go get to the Southern governor, Jimmy Carter. He won. And then they had 84 and they went back to the Northern liberal, Mondale. He crashed. And then they said, so what? We're going to do this again. They got Mike Dukakis, 88. He crashed. And then they said, oh, crap. We got to go back to the Southern twangy governor. Whether it was conservative or not, didn't matter. It was the image. So they got Bill Clinton and they got eight years out of it. And then Al Gore won the popular vote, 2000, Southern Senator. And then they ran, of course, a Northern liberal, John Kerry, in 2004. And then this was what was interesting. Barack Obama wasn't the normal. He was even further left than most Northern liberals, but he was an African-American with an exotic name. And that, was, that broke that 50-year cycle. But what I'm getting at is the Democratic Party has forgotten where and how and when it used to be popular and win at the presidential level. Not that it doesn't win, but it always wins if they can have the veneer of moderation. That's what, you know, Joe Biden understood that. He wasn't a Southerner, but remember, Jack, he reminded us that he was from a slave state. Right, right. He was against busing and he was good friends with any number of Southern James senators. James yeah. Eastland and right. Strom Thurmond and, you yeah. know, Here's some, Victor, I'll just throw these numbers out and then we'll move on. On the Marquette poll, black voters were in July 2021, so favored Joe Biden at 88%, now 50, 56%. I mean, that's a freaking free fall. Hispanics, 56, now down to 51%. Whites were at 50, now at 40. This is the same time period. And independents, 57% in July of 2021, now 37%. And it's just going to keep falling on the last part of the, you know, the earlier question about Biden uh, injecting himself into the Florida, I don't want to call it don't say gay bill because it's what it's about, but that's how it unfortunately is being known. But Tim Scott was on uh, Megyn Kelly's podcast the other day. It was really good. I had not heard this before. I'm sure many others have. But he called that the Republican Party is, is positioning itself as the party of parents. That's certainly what happened in, in Virginia. And by Joe Biden, I think that the Florida bill is, again, about parents. You know, you're going to teach my kid about this salaciousness. Uh, you're going to you're going to abrogate my rights as a parent to deal with my kids as I see fit on these issues. Why would he, what, what kind of insanity goes through his brain that put him in that political position? But I think it reinforces 
what Tim Scott and others are saying. The Republican Party is emerging as the party of parents, and Joe Biden is certainly helping that come along. And that's a devastating thing the Democrats are going to have to face in November. So if you have any thoughts on that, Victor, if not, we're going to move on. Funny, I just talked to a guy at Home Depot. I was getting Romax. And by the way, 250 feet, 12.2 was a steal at $170. It used to be 40 for 12.2. Anyway, my point is this. I was talking to the guy that unlocked it, Jack, because it's you have to lock it up. I felt my heart started beating when I left the Home Depot door to get to my car because I thought I would get mugged carrying 250 feet of copper wire. But anyway, my point is the guy who waited on me was a Mexican-American, not American. I said, this is incredible, the price. He goes, they've destroyed the country. They've destroyed the country. And then he said, and it's not even my country because I'm here oh. illegally. I, won't, I don't want to mention where at Home Depot was. But, and he was saying, I'd vote for all anybody but you know, Biden, but I'm illegal. And I said, well, why don't you vote for, I mean, I think illegals will be able to vote. There are 800,000 in New York. They don't care. Why wouldn't you vote for Biden? He said he's destroying the country. I thought, wow, that's weird. He let in 2 million people and he's scheduled to let another million in by summer. My only point about this anecdote is that you would think his Hispanic rate would, were told that all they care about is an open border, that community. They don't. They, are, they, don't, they care about what everybody else cares about. How much does gas cost? How much does food cost? How much is housing cost? How much are building materials? Are the schools going to teach my Catholic kids stuff about homosexuality and transgenderism so they come home and want shots or something? And am I going to be mugged in my neighborhood? And is the United States honored or disrespected? That's what they care about. And that's a zero, 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 zero for Biden. And in the black community, it's the same way. I mean, I think black males will get up to 50% don't like him. That's incredible, too, because he almost embraced BLM, Biden did. He's surrounded by all these people. And here's my point, Jack. You're starting to get this reality. Like somebody pulled across the curtain and all of these professional minorities on MSNBC and Don Lamont and Van Jones and Joy Reid and all these professional people who identify by their superficial appearance, they've always told us they, they're very powerful because they represent huge constituencies. They don't. Guess what? They're human. They're people like anybody else, and they're the exact copies and the Xeroxes of all of their white counterparts and right. Anderson Cooper. They're no different than Anderson Cooper. Right. They're no different than Brian's Delta, whatever his name is. They're no different than Tom Brokaw. They're the same people. They're cut from the same cloth. They have no constituency and they can't affect the vote at all. And they're completely discredited. And all of the minority professors who say that they're the authentic voice of the oppressed, they have no constituency. Right. And this time, and I was reading the Cook Report today, and all of these intricate statistics and analytics that will trying to so desperately show that, well, there is going to be a wave, but given this race and that race and this peculiar and this unheard of and this unknown and this underappreciated data point, it'll only be 20 seats. I don't think they have any idea what's going on. I think every seat, except for a very few socialist seats, are up for grabs. Everything is up for grabs. You know why? 
because we've never seen 30% of the population so angry that we're considered almost automatic Democratic voters. And without the white working class, which the Democrats you know, abandoned, willingly got rid of, they can't win unless they have an inordinate 60, 70% of Hispanics and 80, 90% of African-Americans. So 50, 50, and they're done for, and they know it. And yet they can't change. That's what's so weird about it. They cannot change because to change means they're not socialist anymore and they're not leftist anymore. Right. And you start, we're really getting the contours now of what this mind is that will talk about transgenderism as an, as the issue with, you know, half of 1% of the population, or we'll talk about the open borders if it's a positive thing. When we're buried with 10% inflation, it looks like pretty soon, or we can't buy gas. It's just a very weird time in history where we have this bi-coastal, highly professional elite that's well compensated, and they're in their cocoons. They're totally divorced from reality. They do not see working class people. They're afraid of working class people. They patronize minorities and so that they don't have to be around them. And they're running the Democratic Party by virtue of their wealth. Yeah. They were the avatars of globalism and they're multi, multi millionaires and billionaires. And that's the Democratic Party in a nutshell. But do you know what's going to save them, Victor? It's that seven hour gap in Donald Trump's phone records. What and happened we're gonna... to Liz Cheney in January 6th? Is that well, all we're now? No, but we're going to talk about that. We're going to get to that right after these important messages. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irvin Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Well, we're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. We're recording on Saturday, April 2nd. I'm pretty sure the show will be broadcast, if we can use that word, on Tuesday, April 5th. I would like to recommend to our listeners to check out victorhanson.com. Everything Victor does is on there. Some of it's behind a paywall. It's very, very reasonable, $5 a month, $50 a year. And you get a actually cumulatively a tremendous amount of original content that you can't read anywhere else except on that website, except if you have a subscription. So that's victorhanson.com. And also, if you want to follow Victor on social media, he's on Twitter, he's at VD Hanson. On Facebook, he's got VDH's Morning Cup. On the website, sign up for his newsletter. Also, I'd like to give a nod to there's a wonderful Facebook group the Victor Davis Hanson fan club. And actually this week, 
one of your daily trips to uh, Home Depot, a guy stopped you clearly, and he took a picture with you and he put it up. He's in the fan club. What was really interesting is that's not 800 people liked it. 800 people commented on it. Like, you're the luckiest guy on the face of the earth. Oh, my gosh. I love Victor. So I saw anyway. the guy. The guy was a really nice guy. He just came yeah. out of nowhere and I was up checking out. And the only reason I was a little bit startled was because occasionally somebody does that and they're not so nice, right? They knock your hat off, right? Uh, they've knocked my hat <laughs> off or they've confronted me or they've said, hey, asshole. So, you know, they're kind of the angry readers in person. Yeah. Well, it's uh, yeah, offer them up for the souls in purgatory. Anyway, Victor, my friend, we have the seven hour hoax and it was interesting <laughs> immediately, immediately. The same people who could had to wait you know, two years to acknowledge that there was something going on with Hunter Biden's laptop immediately sprang to it. I went on Twitter. I thought it was so funny. Dan Rather, of all people, this guy has he, he, he has no <laughs> sense but accurate. Fake but accurate. Right. He's so self-unaware, you know, going after the the gap, people comparing it to Richard Nixon and Rosemary Wood, 18 18 minutes. Anyway, Victor, of course, it was it was so bogus. Your thoughts on. Well, it didn't exist, so it's kind of hard to discuss what doesn't exist, except the reaction and the media positioning, immediate positioning on this. What any thoughts on that? Well, in the general, the general point is that when they bring up trivia, there's a reason, and that is that if you can't deal with the existential problems, then you go to the trivia. Or if you can't arrest the felon, you go after the misdemeanor. You know what I mean? If you're a law enforcement agency and you have no idea how to deal with 7,000 people killing each other, you go after a guy, a stockbroker who throws out a piece of paper out of his window because that makes you feel like, you know, that you've done something. So there was no, I mean, it was just, not even worth commenting on. It's another one of these things. Remember the Trump tax returns? Remember the Daily Bees, Vox, Huffington Post, Donald Trump will likely be indicted. Right. All charges were dropped. Unlike Joe Biden, I mean, he may not, Hunter may not go to prison, but it will be because he's pardoned probably rather than because there's not going to be indicted. And so you think they would learn, Jack, they would think you would think they'd say, okay, there was a Russian collusion hoax. We were embarrassed, 22 months, $40 million, old Bob Mueller doddering around and, and can't remember Fusion GPS, has no idea what the steel dossier. So James Comey, 245 times, I can't remember. You think that that thing, when that blew up, but they went right on to the alpha bank hoax. Remember the little pinging hoax? And then with Durham's latest... Right. Uh, indictments we understand in the communications of their uh, you know the legal briefs back and forth we find out that that was an entire hoax it was actually a hillary operative who was buying people to make up stuff from an innocent one-way ping and so you think they'd learn from that and then there was a hunter biden hoax the 50 intelligence officers who swore that it was likely could have sort of must be remember they all hedged in a very weird way so now they're saying well, we signed a letter. We put our reputations on the line right before the 2020 election to help Joe Biden get elected. But we didn't quite say that it was Russian disinformation. That was the James Clapper explanation. Right. And so they didn't learn from that either, hunters. And they've turned the FBI into the Biden retrieval service. It goes after James O'Keefe to find Ashley's diary. Is that what it was? Ashley Biden's diary or 
before right. it was get that hundred laptop and keep it under wraps till the election is over. And so they never, they never learn. And it's just one psychodrama to the next. They could care less whether it's true or not. The seven hour gap will go on to the next thing and the next right. thing and the next thing, because all they're telling the American people is we don't have a clue how to lower gas prices. You know why we don't have a clue? Because we like them. Right. We don't care about you. We only care about our planet. We love humanity. We just hate the guts out of humans. We don't care. And we don't care about the border because we like cheap labor for our nannies and our landscapers. And you deal with the other downside. We don't want to be around. We've got a Pelosi wall around our house. That's how they, they look at the world. I'm serious. Oh. Well, Victor, I want to spring something on you. We didn't discuss this ahead of time, but I noticed uh, some stories breaking this afternoon. And we could just talk about this briefly, if you don't mind. This is about Ukraine. And you talked uh, at some length with Sammy Wink on the podcast you recorded for this weekend. We're talking right now. Great podcast, by the way, you and Sammy. But it seems like the Russians are, are withdrawing from the Kiev area. And the videos that, that this, I saw this on Daily Mail I think these videos tend to be honest and honest depictions of what's going on. Just uh, carnage. Well, mechanical carnage uh, along the way of just total destruction of Russian assets. So I don't know, is any thought today that as a military action, is this minus the Russians deploying these other insane weapons they have at their disposal, which they haven't used yet? used yet is this swinging a little bit to uh ukraine's way yeah i think it is and a lot of us you and i and a lot of us didn't buy the you know i mean there were a lot of respected military advisors said it would be very quick and it would be over but i never thought it would be and it's just simply because as i said at the time the russian army is pathetic in finland and world war ii it's pathetic when it went into poland 1920 it's pathetic when it went into afghanistan Pathetic, pathetic, pathetic. You invade Russia, you invade Russia. If Ukrainians attacked a fuel depot inside Russia, if they're stupid enough to go into Russia, they will fight like Russians on the offensive, and Russians will fight like Ukrainians on the defensive. And that's the reality. So I think what we're seeing now is Putin cannot absorb half of Ukraine. That was the point. The point was to quickly get control of all of eastern Ukraine and then unleash air power and devastate western Ukraine, make western Ukraine look like eastern Ukraine does now. And he can't do that. And so now he's saying that he has created a waste a wasteland and called it peace. He's going to destroy the Ukrainian economy, the Ukrainian military, the ability to wage war. He's going to Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And he's going to formally annex what he already had these fake little republics along the border, and he's going to get some more coastline, and that's going to be called victory. And some people are going to say, "Well, he killed all those people for nothing. He didn't get any of his plans." And the answer to that is, well, he's for all the sanctions and the miseries he's caused, trillions of dollars of damage to the economy alienating oligarchs or military people, he's probably not going to be overthrown. He's probably going to be able to see, make fun of me now. And a year from now, guess what? That country will still be a mess and it will not be a serious economic or cultural or social threat to Russia. Not that it ever was, but that's what he, 
what he says. So I think the Ukrainians will push him all the way back to Belarus and to Russia itself. I think uh, they will probably have some kind of ceasefire when they hit the 70% Russian-speaking borderlands, which I don't think Ukraine really wants that much, even though they've been fighting a war there for 10 years, the eastern Donbass. And then I think they'll have some kind of phony negotiations over the Crimea. But he's not going to get anything more than that. And he's going to tell the Russian people that I destroyed a lot of stuff. I destroyed, I destroyed. The other thing to remember is that Russia's got 145 million people. Ukraine's got 40 million people. Russia's got over a million people in its military. I know they're conscripts. I know they've had to hire mercenaries and volunteers, and they've destroyed all this stuff. But Ukraine has to do a lot more damage to exhaust Russia is what I'm trying to say. They've got enormous wherewithal with oil and nuclear threats and stuff. Right. So I hope that Ukraine doesn't think that they can beat Russia in an offensive war. I, when they push them out, then they're going to go, you know, it's kind of like the seesaw right. war in North Africa between 1941 and 42 went back, Rommel all the way back to Bolivia, Rommel all the way into Egypt, all the way El Alamein, I think changed hands four times. Or Seoul, South Korea, North Korea, South Korea, and Seoul changed hands five times. I don't think they can afford to get into that. And they don't have the wherewithal, as I said, to go into Russia and really hurt the Russians. What they need to do is find out among themselves what areas they want and they're willing to die for. And I don't think it's quite all of Ukraine. And take the maximalist point of view and hold it and then de facto let these Russian republics have their way if they want to stay there. But, you know, Putin has been so violent and so disliked. Even these Russians, majority speaking, borderland phony republics may not want to join Russia. Who knows? Well, Victor, we have one more thing to talk about on today's episode, and that is the news that Sarah Palin is going to be (laughs) running for Congress. And we will talk about that right after these important messages. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. We are back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So, Victor, Sarah Palin, the former governor, the former vice presidential candidate, with the John McCain in 2008 and then um, gosh, a reality show star and sewer of the New York times is going to be running for Congress in a special election. I just wanted to re- remind, uh, not remind people tell you and I met her together in 2007. It was a quite an interesting story so, of national view. Yeah. Go ahead. Just before I can interrupt you, I want you to continue, but sure. Remind yeah. me what year again, it was that. We met her in 2007. It was the year before she was picked for. That was 15 uh, years ago, Jack, right? Well, yeah, it was. was. I think she's 58. So she was 43. I remember Dick Morris was there, wasn't he? Judge Bork. Yeah. Dick Morris. I remember Dick. A lot. Everybody were sort of impressed by her exuberance, right? Oh, she was terrific. I mean, she was we, beautiful we, in her early 40s. And- yeah. 
she invited the speakers of the National Review Cruise that came into Juneau and at the behest of one of our friends, great lady Paulette Simpson. So she hosted us at, at the governor's mansion and we had a great reception and she couldn't have been nicer. I have to say my one great embarrassment of that day, because I was representing National Review, was I introduced you as Victor David Hansen. <laughs> David came out of my mouth. I Everybody was like, oh my does God. that. Yeah, well, but she They not only have... do it, they get mad because they think that anybody who would have a middle name as Davis deserves to be called David. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's your own fault. Yeah, she was charming. And then a year later, when she was picked, the New Yorker did a piece saying, well, the reason this happened was because and the week before National Review had it, its Alaska cruise, the, the week, the old Weekly Standard did also. And they also were invited to the governor's mansion. So it was the yeah the conservative cruises somehow selected and they quoted you. They misquoted you. They lied yeah, about something you had to say. It was, it was I think it was I Jill know, Abrams. Jane, yeah, it was it was Jane Meyer. Called Jane me. Meyer. Right. Yeah, yeah. And she said, I was uh, speaking in Napa. I got a cell phone call and it was you were on the infamous, you know, but she has this mannerism where she acts like she's your friend when she wants to have you give dirt on somebody you like. And she kept saying, did she embarrass herself? No. Did you find her out of your depth? No. Was this court of a money raising coronation? No, this was very informal. Did she approach you guys to beg you? I said, no. And she just got bored with me saying that because she wanted me to say, oh, I found her underwhelming or something. And I, I didn't. And she was a precursor of the hatred of Donald Trump. By that, I mean the deplorable, the redeemable. They hated that woman because in retrospect, looking at Kamala Harris, Sarah Palin is Cicero compared to Kamala Harris. She doesn't talk like Kamala Harris. She, she was better looking than Kamala Harris. She had executive experience. It wasn't just that she was mayor of Wasilla. She ran on a populist, let's cut the budgets, let's cut taxes, let's make accountability. And she ran against the old white boy, remember, corrupt she, she Republican beat, network. She, she beat did. Lisa Murkowski's dad in a primary. She and by did. the way, Victor, when we met her, her popularity rating in the state was 88%. Everybody, I mean, and there was no real. reason why. I just wish she hadn't have accepted that vice president nomination. You know, and then she had all of these, what we know now, remember Nicole Wallace was one of her handlers. She had all these never Trumps around her during that campaign, and they actually subverted it and sabotaged it. They made fun of her behind her back about her wardrobe, and she didn't have clothes. And and then there was the Andrew Sullivan thing that she really hadn't given birth to her own Oh, child. my God. It was, it, was, it was horrible what they did to that poor woman. And I have a great deal of empathy. I mean, the first inkling of what they were going to do was Dan Quayle. And then they trumped themselves with Palin and they went on from Palin. But the idea was that anybody from the Midwest or anybody who's not sophisticated, didn't go to the Ivy League or had a sort of a weird little accent, they were going to go after and yet they never, ever would ever apply those standards to Kamala Harris. And if they did, they would have to destroy that woman because Sarah Palin had far more ex experience politically. She was a better executive. Well, Kamala Harris wasn't an executive at all. And I, I remember a line at that when we went there to the governor's mansion and someone said kind of in a snooty manner, I don't know. Who, I know who it was, I think, but I, I remember I don't want to say the person's name and said, and what does your husband do? 
And she had this thing about winking. You remember that? She would wink at people. And she said, oh, Todd's in the oil business. <laughs> yeah, she winked. And this person turned to me and said, hmm, you think it's standard oil executive? And I thought, <laughs> no, probably yeah. like a wildcatter or yeah. you know, something like that. You'll tell me offline who told you that. So, well, she's back in the fray, Victor, and I I have a feeling uh, the world will be better off for her doing that. So we're about out of time, my friend. Uh, I want to thank you for sharing all the wisdom you did today as you do it every podcast. Of course, at this point of the show, we share one of the um, comments that we find on iTunes still. By the way, this week, this show, the podcast, which Sammy and I do with Victor, was number seven on Chartable for political podcasts in the nation. So we thank our listeners. Obviously, we're getting new listeners, so welcome. Here's a comment that was left by Carrie Coleman Pottery. I don't think that's her last name, but it's called, it's titled Love the Show. And she wrote, I love how your historical insight gives a new perspective on current events. I listened to your course, The Dying Citizen, and never miss an episode of your show. I have learned so much from work. Thanks for the frequent shout outs to skilled laborers. My father was a tile setter and passed along his love of good craftsmanship to me. While I am a certified high school English teacher, I have found much more joy in making pottery and growing my business while raising our five children. You, Jack, and Sammy keep me company while I throw pots in my studio. Keep speaking the truth. Some of us are listening, Carrie Coleman. Thanks, Carrie. That's really, really nice, really cool for you to say that. We read all the comments. I want to recommend, I mentioned a few weeks ago so in May, five or six weeks from now, as we're recording, Victor's actually going to be gone for a while, but we're going to pre-record a few podcasts based on the questions that our regular listeners have that they would like Victor to answer. So I recommend leaving a comment on iTunes with the questions. That's a great way for us to get them. Of course, you can email them to me if you'd like. My email is jfowler at americanphilanthropic.com. And while I just going to talk about myself, if you would sign up for my weekly email newsletter, Civil Thoughts, you can do that at civilthoughts.com. Go ahead. It's free. It gives 12 suggested important pieces that are floating around on the internet the week before. There's no strings attached. I think you'll find it enjoyable. So that's civilthoughts.com. And I also, my job is I run the Center for Civil Society at American Philanthropic. We are very interested in strengthening civil society. It is the bulwark against the uh, despotic state civil society. So if you're interested in that, visit centerforcivilsociety.com. You'll find out more about what we do. Of course, again, Victor is at victorhanson.com. We thank all of you again for listening. Thank you, Victor, for your wisdom sharing. And we will be back again soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And let's root for Sarah Palin. I think she deserves all of our support. This country has treated her so badly and she never gives up. And they've made fun of her, the elite. And I just would really enjoy seeing her win because I think she'd be blunt and candid as a representative from the great state of Alaska. Thank you very much.